podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The return of football is always worth celebrating and Beer 52 are generously offering free beer to you while watching your team from the comfort of your home. They are offering eight craft beers sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you have to do is go to beer52.com slash whistle and just cover the five ninety five for the postage. Beer 52 is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club with over 150,000 members that they send a brand new case to every month. Every month's case has a different theme. Past themes have included beer from New Zealand, South Africa, Korea and all over the USA and Europe. As an independent British company, Beer 52 are passionate about the UK craft beer scene, which they continue to support during this difficult period. If dark beer is not your thing, you can simply choose the light option and your case will come with the award-winning beer magazine, ferment and a tasty snack. Don't worry, though. If you do change your mind, you can pause or cancel at any time. Just go to beer52.com slash whistle to get your first case of beers for five ninety five. That's www.beer52.com slash whistle. And this is true, we love to do the things that we're not supposed to do We don't need robbing, stealing, or mugging In fact, we'll take it seriously, we're only bugging Hello and welcome to a brand new series, a brand new season of the Whistleblowers podcast uh, I mean... I can scarcely believe that it's already here. The new season's upon us. The league, EFL, has already started. The league cup's already happened. Carabao Cup's been well underway. But the Premier League, and that is uh, what we mainly focus on the show, the Premier League starts this Friday night coming up with Brentford hosting Arsenal. Um, Quick bit of housekeeping for any uh, new listeners to the show. I'm Mark Smith. I'm a broadcaster and comedian. I'm here every week with Big Daddy Martin Gritton. Martin Gritton is an ex-professional footballer. Martin, some of the names of the clubs you've played for, please. List them off, pal. Just, just, it's just a heady list of incredible, but basically the teams that are sponsored are kits made by companies you've never heard of. So, uh, Plymouth Argyle, Macclesfield, Chesterfield, lots of fields, and Mansfield. Uh, Grimsby Town, of course, Torquay United. Torquay, yeah. yeah. Some belters. Who was your, who was your best there. one? Uh, I, I don't know. I we took Torquay up to League One. Um, so that was that was nice on a shoestring. So, yeah. I'm fully, so the point uh, is, there's a point, there's a reason for you being here. And that is that you actually know what you're talking about from a playing point of view, isn't it? Well, certainly after all those years, it entitles me to talk about Premier League footballers in a very disparaging way. So that's what I bring to this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, excellent. And also joined every week by Gareth Dobson. Gareth is a music mogul, is uh, also a Spurs fan and actually incredibly good at talking about football. That's why he's here. He's not just here for the music side of things. Gareth, give us a quick pricey on why you're on the show. Um, I'd like to feel that I'm the sort of well-read counterpoint to your actual knowledge and experience and I'm very good at sort of regurgitating other people's views. Yeah, and that's all we can that's all we can hope for. <laughs> what you'll notice there is Gareth's uh, microphone is an absolute disaster. Certainly from what I can hear, might be better for you, Grits. What's the reason for that, Gareth? Where are you? So I'm on the Isle of Man and they've only There we go. No, no further questions. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm will, on a pre season tour. Will you be on the Isle of Man for the entirety of the league campaign? Um it, it's really hard to put tell sometimes you know that the planes and ferries just don't leave the island for months on end so that's a maybe that's a maybe 
But we can hope that you'll be back in um, Britain. I don't even know what it's where you are. Hope you're back in Britain next week with a proper microphone. Um, but let's get the show underway then, shall we? Here we go. It's the Whistleblowers' brand new season. I'm excited. Grits, Gareth, it seems to me, I don't know if this is me getting old, but I feel like there's just been no break this time. It feels like the, the, the domestic campaign finished. Then, of course, we had the Euros and we've had the Copper America and all that sort of stuff. Then we had Olympic football. And now we're straight back into it. The league, as I said at the top of the show, the league's already started. The Carabao Cup's underway. Is it me getting old, that Gareth? Or do you think it is just getting more and more football, less time off for fans, less time off for players? I, 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 this does feel like the busiest summer of sport, PM, that I can ever remember. Um, obviously, there's lots of events that have been pushed back, uh, pushed forward from last year. Um, but even so, actually, the league, the Premier League, is starting a week later than it normally does, which is kind of mind-boggling. Is it? Um, yeah, yeah, truly. And um, so, yeah, I, I do think that it's been an absolute overload. And you know, I, I do think a lot of the teams, you're going to look at the campaigns towards the end and, and see who carries that fatigue. And yeah, you know, there's certain yeah. players who. So, Salio Mane is actually a good example. It's the first time that he's had the summer off while he's been a Liverpool player. Um, which is quite interesting. How many which years kind of that? runs, I think, is a good five or six seasons wow. now, right? Um, which runs contrary to maybe a lot of other players. So perhaps that that would be quite telling. Although uh, it is worth noting that we also have the uh, the African Cup of Nations this winter, Absolutely. just to pile in another another. Um, and then we have for, a Winter World Cup the year after. So perfect. And then a Winter World Cup. So it's never ever going to stop. It's never going to stop. So for us uh, fans and pundits, uh, it's it's sort of quite full on. But Grits, as as a as a former player, how long do you really need to go from your physical shape during off season, you know, going out having a normal night out, having a normal life, to being match fit? How many weeks of pre season and how many sort of pre season games do you did you need as a player to get back to full full sharpness? What I needed and what these players need is probably a very different thing. I think um, the idea would be you get players back at the beginning of July and you start playing matches about mid-July and then by middle of August you've got people match up again. But that's based on football ending in May. So you're looking at a six-week break. Nowadays the players just don't have that, do they? So they're straight through. And also the way that the conditioning is a lot more advanced, you know, I don't think that the old-school nature of the pre-seasons that I had were not... I, I would say we're not beneficial to players. They can't, they're they're not of, happening anymore, are they? I can't. I can't imagine no. that's happening anymore. And, and it's you know it's light touch stuff, so it's you know all, they know how to maintain uh, the the right uh, physical, um, uh, I, I suppose, training regimes for the players' diet, all these things. But the, the psychological thing is that psychological burnout is what we've seen affect a yeah. lot of players. And with England, the, the emotional roller coaster of the Euros. Um, plus the campaigns for the, the Champions League, which just seemed to obviously just uh, drag on. You know, when, you, when you're watching these games in June, it's just such a such an ordeal for the players. I mean, even lower down when I was going to watch like the Torquay in, in the National League playoff game in, in late in June, and you're just like, this is insane. You know, and, and obviously those players having to get back up for it. So Premier League, there's so much more at stake. So, um, yeah, I would say that the players have just been uh, taking over and the... The stresses of matches, which were kind of came thick and fast last season, I think that probably um, not having that compressed season will hopefully benefit the players and the quality of the games. Did you, when you're doing pre-season grits, did you have those sort of weeks where you just wouldn't see a football, where it'd just be fitness? And if it was just fitness, what was the longest uh, cross-country run that you ever managed to do in pre-season? 
they used to call it dis- it's just disguised running isn't it it's like they'll put a few balls out but you've got to run around them and uh, they would always bulk up the long runs would be at the beginning and they would generally be things like Grimsby there's like eight miles of beach or coast I wouldn't say a beach more Beautiful. like coast and you just get dropped at one end sprint like, straight into the sea I just stop, just <laughs> just stop finish this off now shall we <laughs> just, well we would we go in the sea sometimes to kind of have a cook have a cool down session but definitely the the whole mentality of we'll drop you off 10 miles from the ground and make your own way back as quickly as possible it's proper boot camp oh, stuff yeah um, army horrible uh, and and that was funny thing you would see lads turn up for the trials uh and they'd be wet all they would have brought is football boots and be like that was sloppy should have brought running trainers for the first week so you'd see lads having to do it in molded studs through woods and coastal paths because it was like well if you're not prepared so, um, yeah, you know what, Grits? Trialists, see the way the trialists fell away. It's always, uh, always <laughs> yeah. funny. You know what, Grits? Like you talking there about the boot camp stuff, I can absolutely see you in a, a reboot of Dad, of uh, Bad Lads Army. Do you remember Bad Lads Army? <laughs> I can't believe anyone remembers this. <laughs> it was a reality show. They put young offenders and ex-criminals through a boot camp. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about, um, let's talk about this, because we've had a lot of sport this summer, obviously, some of it not football, a lot of it horse dancing. Didn't mind it, got to say. Um, and normally this this sort of latter part of the summer is taken up with transfer gossip. But this time, it feels like this is the first season in a long time where that transfer gossip has sort of become reality and the maddest moves that you'd imagine have either happened or are about to happen. Um, first of all, Grits, do you care about transfer gossip? Do you care about the transfer window? Do you care about this sort of stuff at all? Uh, gossip side of it is a is a bit nonsense. I just keep track of it is an absolute nightmare, isn't it? Because it's yeah. just like uh, thick and fast, particularly um, yeah, particularly players that are just kind of squad players that are not quite making the headlines. You're like, hang on a minute, he's playing for them now, and there's a lot there's a lot of that going on at the minute. And um, I think the impact some of these players, if Lukaku signs for Chelsea, you know that can really be quite a, a massive signing in the Premier League again. But just another example of how ridiculous it is that he's gone he's gone full circle. Um, I suppose Gareth probably uh, bringing you in on this one. Uh, being a, a Spurs fan, it, it's not been particularly enjoyable, has it? Not been great. If you're hoping for you know Harry Kane's days, it's there. There is a world where Spurs have a good window. If yeah, so I, I think bringing um, old Brian Gill from a uh, uh, yeah the young Spanish winger looks, looks, <laughs> looks very exciting. Bang! It looks very exciting. Um, you know, there's now speculation that uh, Lautaro Martinez, the Argentinian forward from Inter, could mm. be uh, could be being chased by Spurs. Although the idea of Inter selling Lukaku and Martinez seems a little bit far fetched. But it's you know, if they can use the Kane money, if if they sell Kane, if they sell him in time to actually spend the money, this is very similar to what Spurs have done a couple of times, famously when they sold Berbatov to Manchester United on. Yeah, with an hour to go before the transfer window. And I, I think all they had left was Darren Bent and a strike. I genuinely can't remember who it was. It was it was an utter disaster. Um, and they end up sort of refiling Defoe and Keane around the Christmas window. So, you know, Levy loves to sort of really, really hold back and wait and sort of, you know, extract the biggest price possible. But it doesn't always leave the, the team in the best position. So hopefully with Spurs' new director of football, um, Paratici, who apparently you know uh, spends more time on his phone than I have on this holiday, um, sitting next to my dad with him, getting very annoyed that I'm not talking to him. I'm just, in fact, looking at Spurs transfer rumours. Uh, you know, he's uh, 
hopefully Spurs have a plan because I think realistically if Kane doesn't go this year he goes next year um, yeah. so possibly you just say well you know extract the best price you can I, I think a 28 year old Kane is worth probably a whole lot more than one who's a year older to City I mean we could talk about the Kane transfer all day long we could also talk about the Messi transfer all day long but I think it's Grits used a word a minute ago ridiculous I feel like this has been the tipping point for me in terms of transfer summers it just seems mad now some of the numbers you're looking at 100 mil for Lukaku okay 100 mil for Grealish okay uh, John Stones on a quarter of a million pound a week five year contract I'm looking further down Joe Willock 25 million quid 25 million it just seems to me like it, it's just become the, the the money is irrelevant it's just do you want this player yes well we'll pay whatever it whatever it is and I'm not sure how sustainable this is particularly when we're seeing these European giants Barcelona being the, 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 the main culprit European giants be so mismanaged that they've gone from being the biggest club in the world to one that is just literally not sustainable at all and they're have to, having to shift off their best players. Inter's the next one. You mentioned there, Mar- uh, Martinez. It's unlikely they'll let him go because they've already let Hakimi and Lukaku go. But it's not beyond the runs of possibility that Inter have half the first teams that they had this time last year. And I wonder, Grits, are you able to enjoy the Premier League? Of course, we love watching the best players. But are you able to enjoy it knowing that actually we're really... The Premier League as a whole and PSG are basically just... They're just picking off the talent from all over Europe. They're just sort of, you know, they're, they're sort of vultures picking off this carcass. And it's I'm not sure it sits that well. It doesn't sit that well with me at all. No, the the interesting thing is, though, the, the tipping point you're talking about, I mean, it's always been there, the big clubs from the Galacticos, you know, just amassing these um, talent pools. But it doesn't always work, you know. I, I think uh, City do it in a way that they try and almost plan out what's going to be their side for the Champions League, what's going to be their side for the league. I think the interesting thing is that we're forgetting all these players with less resources. If you are a good football club, the coaches bring through players, the talent is still coming through and there's still a way to exploit the, the yeah. clubs that are paying that money. And you look at some, you know, look at the money that some of those young, if Arsenal had been better managed, you know, Serge Gnabry, you know, you talk about Willis, all these players that they, they did have a production line and if they would perhaps use them a little bit better or had someone at the helm who kind of, I don't know, had that vision and strategy. Um, I think there's a lot of clubs in the Premier League are just finding other ways of working. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, ultimately it ruins it if you just amass all the talent. And also players like Grealish, I mean, not playing every week. I mean, Jack Grealish, you're, you're his biggest fan, Mark. You Absolutely. want to see him on the pitch. And I want to see him. I want to see him. I want to see him be the talisman of whatever club he goes to. And I think he would have been at any other club, maybe apart from... Um, a Pep side because you know it, it absolutely it absolutely works with Pep sides, but his front two or three or however you want to do it is yeah. so interchangeable that you don't know who's going to be playing this week to the next. So, yeah, I mean well, the it, other thing is I think here that there's there's this idea that of course you can only ever field eleven players and you can amass billions of pounds worth of talent on the pitch at any one time. And football is football, and that team could still lose. The problem is now that it's such a squad game and it's such a long season that you just feel like those. There's opportunities for the smaller clubs with the the sort of smaller squad sizes. I just feel like it's dwindling now. It's it's yeah. you you're not going to see, and this is only a few years ago, but you're not going to see a Leicester City from 2015 win the league now because the squad just isn't big enough. Yeah, and I think that takes prob- a lot out of it. The probabilities are smaller and smaller and smaller. But I mean, we said that about Leicester at the time. Interestingly, you look at the yeah. teams that are spending money. And Man United still look like they're gambling. It's still even Sancho still feels like a gamble. Do you think still, so? Well, I, I, 
well, let's see. You know, I, I think, think they're gambling good. on not signing the, the 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 positions they need to really strengthen. I think they've. I think that's the biggest mistake. But I don't um, think they've ever. I don't. I think they've lost the recruiting power that they had once with the. You know, hopefully the Champions League status will will help them. But uh, yeah. yeah, certainly not not quite the same. Right, let's let's move on a little bit because this is a preview show, ostensibly uh, Premier League preview show here on the Whistleblowers. Who'd have thought? Uh, let's talk about the top four. Um, I know it seems a bit hack to talk about that first of all, but you know we are nothing if not hack, and so here we are. Um, I think we all imagine Man City are definitely going to be in there. Um, I certainly think Chelsea are going to be in there. Um, I'm not sure about the other two. Uh, Gareth, talk me through it. As a Spurs fan, do you see yourselves getting into this top four this year, given how competitive it is? No, not particularly. I think Manchester United could probably argue that they have strengthened the most, even though I I agree with your point that they probably didn't strengthen the area they needed to the most, which was central midfield. It's not Um, finished yet, though, obviously, but we've got got to caveat that. It's not finished yet. You you do wonder how far Fred and McTominay can take a team. I mean, potentially... Yeah, McTominay is still developing. Um, he could, yeah, you know, he's a good player. He could turn out to be an excellent player. But you know, I think Varane and Sancho are both excellent signings. Um, uh, I do feel that you know, if all their best players can play at their best levels, people like Pogba, people like Bruno Fernandes, then they, I, I think they're the second best team in the country. Um, okay. Without without getting into the usual bugbears, I, I think they'll go as far as Solskjaer can take them. That's the big question. Um, and then I think Chelsea uh, round out the four. I, I think there is now a fairly sizable gap in terms of overall quality and squad depth between those four and the two North London clubs and even arguably Leicester, which is unfair because you know I'm already writing off Leicester again every season <laughs> before the start of the season. Yeah, but, but you're always I right think, to do it because they always just they just miss out. I know, and I almost feel bad, except I don't feel bad because I like uh, I like being proven right. But losing Fafana for a big chunk of the season already is a desperately cruel oh, injury. Yeah. Yeah. He looked so good last year. Um, and, you know, I don't think that the players they got to bring in to replace him are, are anywhere near as good as he is. So that's interesting. But, I mean, you know, they've already won the first silverware of the season, so they can feel pretty good about where they are. Um, but, yes, I do think there's a clear gap between the two Manchester teams, Chelsea and Liverpool and, uh, and everyone else now. Okay. Grits. Um, Gareth made his point there that the, the, maybe there is a top four that's quite well defined now. Um, but let's talk about United a, a little bit more. So you're not completely convinced about Sancho. Obviously Varane, he's new to the league, but we know his qualities. We know he's going to be able to, if anyone can slot in, it's probably going to be him. There's no guarantee of it, but he's, he's likely to. Um, what would you be worried about if you were a United fan at the moment? And that can be either another team or it can be a, a, a deficiency in your own squad. Well, they, being, they don't want to be content to finish second, obviously, but the problem is when you you know losing that final right at the death, you've got players like, I still don't know what's going on in Pogba's head and he's mm. such a pivotal player for them. Um, I just don't... I, it's still a gamble for for Oli. I still don't know what his strongest team is. Um, you know, he Rashford out from the start is a little bit yeah. of a, a, a blow for him, but he's not he's much cover up front either. Not not really, um, not in depth. But um, but yeah, I, I, and Sancho, 
I'm only saying because it's unproven in the in the Premier League, and, and he didn't he didn't really feature in the Euros. Uh, so it's hard to gauge how he will have an impact in the Premier League because we've seen players uh, struggle, you know, to adapt. And um, but I, I, he's a brilliant signing, but again, yeah. it's just not proven. You know, but when I, you look at City signing Grealish, proven. Looking at Kane, I mean, crazy. That just that blew them out of the water. <laughs> well, this 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 is it, though, isn't it? So I, I've been reading a lot and and, and um, listening to a lot of sort of preview chat and a lot of pundits and ex-pros saying that you know united is is win or bust now united have got to be challenging they've got to be putting in a performance that either wins in the league or gets them very very close but i'm thinking well hang on is united squad even with sancho and varan is it better than man city's no is it better than chelsea's probably not is it better than liverpool's in terms of depth maybe maybe but there's two teams there that have got better squads and who are also improving on those squads. So why could it possibly be the case that United have got to be challenging? I don't think they're, I don't think they're that close yet still. I think they're a little way off. And I think, we alluded to it a minute ago, their main problem area is defensive mid. And yeah, McTominay might get better or whatever, but I still don't think his ceiling is as high as you know, countless others in that league. So I'm not sure. Uh, Grits, what do you make of... Um, of Chelsea well brilliant under Tuchel he's been you know he was a revelation last season but I just the Champions League was just a perfect uh, black eye for City as well and it's got a bit of a hoodoo on them I think it will come down to in those top four positions because we saw it last year how quickly you can jump through the league by performing well against the people around you you know Um, and that's that's what Chelsea did essentially Um, so um, he's got, and he's got more to get from the players that he's inherited. I think there was, he's only been there know, a few months, really, hasn't he? That's it. So he's he's developed um, a style. Uh, and defensively, they were just incredible, but yet managed to punish teams going forward as well. So um, he, he seemed to have the perfect balance for those players. If he brings in Lukaku, um, that can only you know that can only really make them an even bigger threat. Yeah, uh, the Lukaku signing I think is is huge. Um, Gareth, if you were Abramovich, would he have been top of your shopping list? Or do you think there's other players, maybe younger players, maybe Norwegian players, that you'd have been happier to spend a lot of money on? I I do think that you know, Haaland is still the crown jewel for any of these clubs. How did you um, guess I was but, talking about him? Well, it was, it was either him or... Um, uh, uh, I, Go I can't on. think of another high-end uh, Norwegian player. I guess <laughs> apologies to, to Odegaard. Odegaard, yeah. Odegaard, who's, who's, I believe, returned back to Real Madrid. But I think that it sounded like it became very quickly apparent that Haaland was not available this summer because yeah. um, I think City would have pressed very hard for him. I think Real Madrid would have pressed very hard for him. So I, I think you start looking down the list of who else is available and Lukaku you know fits that mould he's a little younger than Kane he's had an incredible time at Inter Milan and you know he is a proven Premier League striker I, I am always very leery of you know players who leave a club and then return to it for a vastly inflated amount of money um, it rarely seems to go well um, but this one does seem to make a lot of sense um, I think I, 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 I would expect him to have a better time of it at Chelsea than he did at his last club uh, in the Premier League, Manchester United, where there was a lot of issues. I don't think Mourinho got the best out of him. Apparently, there was some sort of you know health and dietary issues they didn't yeah. work out, and that was more on they the put a lot of they put a lot stuff. of meat on him. Yes, um, uh, oh yeah, apparently there was 
you know, I, I think it was basically someone should have worked out that he shouldn't be eating a certain amount, you know, a certain type of food and no one worked it out. And the minute he got to Inter, they worked it out. There's a typo, you know, a typo on the, on the, the menu. Exactly. The t- ten times the amount of fish you're supposed to have. So, um, yeah, I, I, that sounds like that was more on Manchester United stuff and Lukaku himself. So, um, I think he, he's a he's a brilliant signing, and he was probably one of what well, he will be a brilliant signing. He, he was probably the best available. It was him or Kane. You know, Chelsea mm. have been linked to Kane a number of times, but given the sour relationships between Spurs and Chelsea, I yeah, think very, very unlikely see it happen. Yeah, yeah, I think Lukaku's the he's one of the best strikers in the world. You say he had a tough time at United, and he did, but his record is still very good. He's still pretty much one in two. Um, Grits, how how much of a, an advantage is it having an established number nine in that Chelsea side over someone like Werner? Werner's got qualities. We know what his qualities are. He can stretch defences, blah, 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 blah. But he's not, he's not Lukaku, is he? I, I think Lukaku could add sort of, what, six points to them on his own this season? Six, maybe nine points? Yeah, I think it was crazy when United let him go in terms of what he offers as a, a, a leading front man. He's just such a focal point. And he just yeah. occupies defenders' minds. He just he's like a magnet, you know, that gets players, pulls them around him because he's because of his physical presence. But um I, I think he's you know, he was underrated as a finisher when he was at United as well, considering the amount of goal scoring positions he gets himself into. But yeah, I I, I think if you're gonna have someone central that leads the line, he, he combines all the elements, you know, when you look at players like Harry Kane that do the same role, the ability to, you know be physical, uh, have a presence in the air, have pace to run in behind and finish your chances. He looks like a nightmare. He looks like a nightmare to play against. This is it. And that's why when you see him play for Belgium, you're like, it's almost like, you know, we're having someone like De Bruyne um, picking passes for him. You're like, that's that's how you make use of a player like uh, Lukaku. So um, you would hope that... uh, the way that Chelsea have been playing and the, the players behind him in that Chelsea team are, you know, terrified. Jorginho in mind, you know, supporting him and just like... Havertz um, playing off him. Yeah, just a really interesting oh. um, kind of blend of players there that, that would complement him. So, and also having a manager like Tuchel probably just um, putting his faith in you would just, it, that's exactly what he needs. I, f- I feel that at United certainly, you know, there was doubt put in all these minds straight up Lukaku's mind straight away and I think he needs he, he needs the full backing of the manager yeah. and yeah. I mean a hundred million price tag would certainly um, make me feel better about myself <laughs> yeah well I, I, I'd put that on you Martin you're worth that to us to the podcast um, you mentioned uh, Gareth a second ago that players going back to their old clubs really works out and you're right but I think it also points to his mentality as a person Lukaku here that he wants to go back and prove a point and he seems like a good guy and he seems like someone who is so driven that I think that will be his own internal goal this season to make sure that it's proven that you, you made a mistake letting me go and here I am and this is what you could have had for the last, what, eight years or whatever. So I wonder if, if, if that's going to be more drive for him alongside that, you know, the, having the manager backing you 100%. And I think Lukaku's the most, maybe aside from Kane, he's probably the biggest guarantee of goals you can get in this league, isn't he? I think so. Um, he's close to it. And, you know, talking about his, his mentality and his, you know, strength of character a couple of times, uh, sorry, a couple of years ago for the last World Cup, there was uh, an incredible story that was, uh, you know, a direct interview with him and a journalist. We basically taught the story of his upbringing and, you know, essentially how we, how he came up and he's had an incredibly tough life. And in order to bring himself up to where he is, 
essentially has involved, you know, all the sort of characteristics you want in a player to, you know, to fight to, to get to the top level. So yeah. I don't think anyone can kind of doubt, you know, both the quality of person and player is. I, I think, Definitely. you know, as a, as a Spurs fan, it disappoints me that Chelsea, I think, you know, they've got one of the most consistent records in terms of bringing players in. Rarely do they bring a player in who, who, who doesn't work. They don't, not for the last 15 years have they really made any terrible signings I can think of. I'm sure they have. They've brought a lot of players. But, you know, I trust their, their transfer policy, I think. I think they, they identify players well. And they get it done quickly without that too much fuss. And also, it's worth pointing out that uh, it's very rare that you have a player who's brilliant on Football Manager as an 18-year-old go on to have a great career. But there is Lukaku. Right, let's have a break. After the break, we'll talk about some of the middling teams. Uh, we'll talk about some teams that could be dark horses this year. And, of course, we'll talk about... The race for relegation, if you can call it that. See you in a minute. Welcome back to the Whistleblowers. Uh, we'll talk in this section, Grits, Gareth, about uh, the uh, relegation scrap. Uh, there's going to be one, as there is every year. Uh, three teams are going to be going down. Which three are they going to be? Martin Gritton, here's your big chance to make a terrible prediction and embarrass yourself in front of your friends and family? Well, I can I can play safe and go for the ones that have come up, because, I mean, Brentford have got a hell of a job in their hands making an impact with the resources. Let's talk but, about Brentford then. Let's talk about yeah, Brentford. I think I think it's a, a real interesting one, because it's such an exciting football club at the minute, you know, with the, the new ground um, and the way that they went up. Uh, they're just... They've probably got a bit of momentum from that, but uh, it's a rude awakening, isn't it, the Premier League? I think it kind of... Uh, it hits you in the face quite hard when you have a team coming up because you got you got uh, not just them but the you know the other teams that have come up have got a, a unique challenge on their hands because the other teams that have managed to be able to chisel away and just maintain those positions a lot of those clubs have had a big upheaval in the summer as well so I'm sorry to, to veer away from Brentford there but you know like Palace losing uh, Roy Hodgson and just how will Vieira be able to manage uh, that you know and it's not always about the personnel at the club. It's about the mentality and the way they go about kind of approaching certain games because it's tiny, tiny sort of margins of error. Um, Burnley, Brighton, two teams that have flirted with it over the last few years that, um, that yeah. could suffer. So, um, uh, and obviously Watford coming up. Watford, uh, a beleaguered yo-yo team between the Championship and, and the Premier League. So, a That's few three, is it? I mean, what, uh, I'd say, yeah. I mean, Watford, Brentford... I mean, Burnley, Burnley off the pitch is now a mess where we always thought that that was a slightly safer. Yeah, we thought that was improved, didn't we? But yeah, yeah, I'm really sad to hear about that because that's that's perhaps one of the only things that was going for Burnley because you know they were they, you know apart from uh, Chris Wood, uh, but I don't know. I, I I think they've got a tough tough job on their hands, particularly if um, if they're not been if they're not able to strengthen and and some of the players that that have been you know. Um, Sought after by other teams around the league. If they start to break up that squad, I think we should, we could see Daesh looking for another challenge. Yeah, there's been plenty of talk about that as well. The likes of McNeil um, heading off. Uh, Gareth, um, who are your three? I don't agree with your grits on Brentford, by the way. We'll get into that in a minute in the dark horses section. So, little spoiler for you, <laughs> Gareth. Who's your three? Well, if I'm going to exclude the three promoted teams, I think the ones I'm looking at are Crystal Palace, who have a history of disastrous managerial appointments. They this feels they like a De Boer moment, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, they, they bring in a good hand, a safe hand, and then they try to, you know, shake it up and they bring in, you know, Frank De Boer and, and 
it immediately goes wrong. And, and then they bring in people like Allardyce and Pulis and that makes sense. They're the managers that work for that club. That club is still yeah. punching above its weight. It is. You know, they're now an established Premier League team, which is, this is the longest they've ever stayed in the top division in one current run. Um, and I think sometimes when that happens, clubs start to believe that you know they're relatively safe. And you're only safe from season to season. And we'll see with Vieira, his, he has a checkered managerial run at best. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I, if they don't start well, it's going to be very tricky. You know, they basically released half of their admittedly aging team who probably should be released, but I'm not exactly sure whether they've brought in players to to replace them. I don't think the, the players they brought in may be a bit more youthful, maybe a little better, but I don't know whether they have the nous. Uh, I think they've to, signed to well for a Premier League season. I think they've signed really well this uh, this off season, Palace, but. I agree with you on Vieira, is that you could give him some fantastic players, but I don't know enough about him as a football manager. I know he you know, he he's he was in New York for a bit and fine, whatever. But it's nice in France. And Nice, yeah, but if it feels like there's a it does feel like a De Boer thing here. And I'm just a bit concerned it that does. you've got to be careful what you wish for with Palace. Like you say, they're an established Premier League side. They've you know, mid table in the most comp- competitive league in the world. It's pretty good, and maybe, maybe that's the limit for Palace. Without wanting to sound really cynical, it's, it feels like that might be the limit. And when you make a change like this, absolutely, you could see it a De Boer thing where you're six games in, you haven't won one, your players are are not happy, and it's time to make a change before Christmas. And that can destabilize a team that has been so solid for the last five seasons. So I don't know, but I do think the signings have been very good. Um, Grits, do you think the you, you, Palace are a side you like? Are, are they in danger this season of, of flirting with relegation? Yeah, I always like Palace. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with the points there about Vieira. It's just an unknown quantity, isn't it? And and that team was always just perfectly balanced to just they just did enough. And um, I think Zaha, Zaha was missing for a lot of games last season, and how, how crucial he is. And a reborn Benteke is great, but um, <coughs> you're relying on individuals uh, there, and and. Interesting to see how Vieira's managerial style will complement him. I think Hodgson was the master at being able to keep a squad happy. Everyone respected yeah. him. Everyone pulled in the right direction. All you need is a, a couple of things to go wrong. Um, someone to say something wrong in the press, and it can be it can be quite volatile. And I think Zaha has always been, you know, he's been quick to react and quick to talk about leaving. And under Hodgson, he was kind of muted with a little bit of respect. Um, yeah. But you know, the 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 rumours never left, and I think he'd still. He'd still jump if he got offered. Because I mean, to be fair, realistically, he, he's probably only got one one big contract left in him, isn't definitely. he? In terms of another four, if he could pull a three or four year deal out of someone. But you know, you you look at clubs like you know Villa could take a Zaha now, and that would be a, a good move for him. So I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, the, one other key element is that um, Eze, who you know looked so promising start of last season and, and came on fairly strong towards the end, he had that very severe, I think, Achilles injury. He's not expected to play much this calendar year. Um, and that's going to be that's a it. very uh, difficult player to bring in to replace. Blow. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's... Um, but, I mean, they've got Elise in. He's, he looks like an exciting player as well. And they've, they've signed well at the centre-backs to two new centre-backs there, Anderson and... I'm not sure how you say the name of the Chelsea lad that's gone in. Um, Gouillet? I'm not sure. Chelsea um, lad. Chelsea lad's fine. Uh... <laughs> Um, okay, so we've got, you think Palace are going to struggle, Grits is pretty convinced Brentford's going to struggle, um, yeah, and Burnley as well. Okay, Newcastle so, and West, sorry, Newcastle and Brighton, Hove Albany are the two, I think, I'd be interested to see where they go this season. 
We have we yeah. have got a really interesting mid table though, which is sort of something we have. that sounds a bit of an oxymoron. But I mean, Everton. Rafa's I think Everton could, could drop like yeah. a stone. I think well, they could drop like a stone this year. I think they've got a good manager in, but everyone seems so unhappy already at that club. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So that's fact. That's really interesting. I don't think Moyes will. I don't think he'll be too disappointed uh, with the summer business uh, of not losing Rice, certainly. Mm. But um, they they had a, a really strong win over Atlanta in, in their friendly recently. You just think, well, they're probably going to come back and be exactly the same. And it won't be kind of a flash in the pan. It'll be a horrible team to play against. If they can keep Antonio fit. Um, yep. If. That's a big be, if, though, isn't it? It is a big if, but... Um, you know, I, I, I think that they're very aware of his issues and uh, it's match management with him. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, their options up front, when you go to Bowen up front, it's just a completely different, you know, again, he's very effective, but it's just not having a, a leading number nine. So um, that's interesting. See if Wolves can... I, I, Wolves were particularly uninspiring last season, but they're yeah, but they're strong all these names to... you're listing off, Grit. So I, I, every time you mention a new team, I'm thinking actually, yeah, they they're they're a good side. That that could, that's a side that could push on a you know on a maybe a, a stranger season could push for a top six, top eight position. But the strength of the Premier League is such that you'd be pleased if you're Wolves, I think, to finish top twelve at the minute. Yeah. Um, and- Leeds, I mean, Leeds United. Yeah, I was, yeah. was going to say Leeds, and this is this is going to be an interesting one to see what happens um, this season, second Premier League season. See how they see how they get on if they can push on. I'm not really sure about the transfer business they've done, um, and they've got Furpo in at fullback. Um, but we've said this before on the podcast that teams coming up. You've been played against. They played against you twice in that season. I always think it takes three or four goes to work out a team's sort of game plan and how they want to how they want to play, and that's why you get teams get found out in their second and third seasons. And I wonder if that's going to happen this time, particularly when everyone's played so much football, they're then expected to come back after two weeks and play more murder ball that that uh, Bielsa likes to employ. Um, but yeah, you know, Leeds have got some quality players in there. There's just there's just a lot of quality in this league, and I think whoever goes down, it feels like a stupid thing to say, but there's really no shame at the minute in going down from this league. If Watford come up and go back down again, it's like, yeah, well, whatever. Like, of course. You, you're not expected to compete with those guys. No, agreed. I think that um, uh, in terms of teams that have stood pat to their benefit, I was pleased that Southampton kept hold of Hassan Hurtle um, and uh, you know, apart from losing Danny Ings, they've kept the, the core of that team, which is still developing. You know, James Ward-Prowse. You love Southampton, don't you? I always forget this. They're, they intrigue me. I think they're a well-run club and I like the model where, you know, the club makes its decisions and it brings in a coach to, to, to you know, work for the players that they provide. And I think it's, you know, they're very established now and they're very steady. Um, they've got young players like Che Adams, you know, still coming through. Um, who I think could could show up well this year. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for them, and I, I do think another year under Hassan Hurtle it's going to be make or break for them. Obviously, last year ended up being a bit of a disaster when they were looking so good at the start of the season. But they are a dark horse for me to challenge for that. You know, that top eight tertiary Europa. This whatever. is a, Gareth. Th- this is a huge shout. You're going Southampton to potentially finish top eight and be the dark horse. Chairdens, by the way, oh. the young player coming through is 25, um, but the 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 point remains he's an, a less experienced player and he's he is quite exciting but top 8 Gareth for Southampton they've they've I, they've not they've 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 replaced Danny Ings with Broha from Chelsea on loan and Adam Armstrong 
from mm -hmm. uh, Blackburn. We don't know what they're going to be like. Ings is a hugely important player for them. I I cannot stress how much I disagree with you on this, Gareth. <laughs> Martin, help me out here. Southampton aren't finishing top mate, 12, are they? I, I think Gineppo is going to be the new Messi, and he's going to just drag them up. <laughs> well, go to Honestly, PSG. I, I swear to you, that guy, he's like a sleeper cell. He's just ready to activate <laughs> and just be the best player in the league. I've yeah. seen flashes of brilliance from him. I just think he's played in about six or seven positions. I think Chelsea have got our interest in, because as Gary said, keeping hold of Hasenhul, when we're talking about um, clubs that do bring players through and do develop them, they're just such an unknown quantity because, you know, they'll get beat 9-0 one week uh, and then they'll go on a run of 40 games without, you know, getting beat. Or yeah, something. then get it's beat 9-0 like... again. <laughs> yeah, but that's, at the same time, they they'll play some interesting football along the way. I think Ings is, uh, Ings is a huge blow, but again, let's see how this pans out. He's the sort of player that will get a, Horrific injury. I, I, not that I would want to see it, but you know, oh just God. disappear for the season. So he, he's getting old, didn't he? He's getting old. I think Che Adams looks looks um, looks someone that could blossom. I mean, top. Yeah, eight it's because he's Scottish, though, isn't it? Grits. It's because you're Scottish. Because you're Scottish. You're Scottish. It's fine. I understand. Che Adams is our Messi. That is the absolute truth. They've got a few Messies in that team. <laughs> yeah. They have, well, in that case, they should finish top eight. But I, look, I like Southampton. We talked about this last year. We all like Southampton. They play nice football. They seem like a good club. They've got a good manager. Blah, 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 blah. I think they're going to be much nearer the bottom three than the top eight. I think it's a really tough season for them. And I think that keeping Ward-Prowse, assuming they still do so, we've still got a couple of weeks left of the window, keeping Ward-Prowse would be a huge, huge statement, more than anything else, because they've had clubs come in who are on the ascendancy, like Aston Villa coming in for him. So that would be huge. It feels like Ward-Prowse is... It feels like he is their heartbeat now and he's the sort of emotional anchor of that team with the fans as well. And if they were to lose him, I think you'd start to see Southampton fans uh, a little bit a little bit less forgiving of what's happening at that club. Um, so we shall see. Talking of dark horses though, that's your dark horse, Gareth, and it's wrong. Um, I'm going to go Brentford, um, but I'm not going to say Brentford are going to get top four or something fucking mad like you are. I just think that Brentford are a... Uh, they're a really good side who play really attractive football. In Thomas Frank, they've got a manager who, like previous managers, have really bought into the culture and the philosophy of Brentford, which is bringing players through, but also their scouting system is so impressive. It's very much a moneyball situation they've got there. They have so few misses when it comes to signings. They always seem to do well with their players. And in Thomas Frank, they've got someone who not only can sign well, but can improve them as players. They've also got Ivan Tony, who's got a real chip on his shoulder with regards to being released from a Premier League club in the past. He was fantastic in the Championship last season. There's every chance he could bring it in and be, be that guy, that sort of uh, exciting Championship striker that we see every now and then come into the league. He's someone who, he's not a guarantee of goals, but he's likely to be someone who can score 12 to 15 goals in the Premier League in the first season, which might be enough to keep them up. And I think if they do stay up, I think it'd be huge because... Uh, there's an argument that Brentford may be one of the smallest ever clubs to be in the Premier League. Despite this lovely new stadium, despite all these things, they're, a, with all due respect, they're a, they're a small club and they're in, they're in a part of London which is really, really competitive. They've got QPR on the doorstep. They've got Chelsea on the doorstep. It's really, really hard to to compete with those guys in terms of fans. So, yeah, I think it would be a brilliant, brilliant thing to happen for them to stay up and I think they're going to do it. Grits, am I wrong? Uh, you're absolutely wrong. I mean, you couldn't be more wrong, but uh, but that's that the proof will be in the pudding. Um, I think, can you hear me? Oh, sorry. I seem to have disappeared. I don't know if Mark can you hear me. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely wrong there, Mark. Uh, but there's a, a few other teams, um, such as Norwich. I would say Norwich. I'd like them to be my dark horses because I think Farker, the fact that he's still in charge and he's coming back up after the absolute doing that they had in the Premier League last time. Um, they've, there's like a renewed vigour about the you know the momentum they got from finishing top of the championship. Um, it's like... Um, they're not going to let it happen again. But I, I think they played some great football the first half of the season when they, uh, when they got ended up <laughs> going down and there was some glimmers and some some learnings. But definitely, if he can build on, that, um, they proved themselves to be quite a, a shrewd outfit. I mean, we've seen Leeds do it on um, limited resources. And I think Norwich are probably um, similar to them in terms of personnel and um, maybe, uh, yeah, resources. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, look, I think all three of us are probably wrong on our dark horses. But just to summarise then, my dark horse is Brentford, Gareth's is Southampton, Grits is Norwich. Let's have a quick uh, prediction of who's going to win the league. I'm going to go Man City again. Grits? Yeah, it's got to be City, isn't City, it? City, Gareth? Chelsea. Chelsea, Ooh. interesting. And uh, let's just do our three, just to, just to um, reiterate the three that are going to go down. Gareth, what were yours? I'll make a note of all these, you see, um, and I'll come back and get you in three I'll months. I'll go... Norwich, Crystal Palace, and Newcastle. Wow. Okay. Norwich Palace. Rums. Okay. Grits. Uh, I think Brentford, Watford, and Burnley. Okay. I'll go Norwich, Watford. Norwich, Watford, and Burnley. Norwich, Watford, Burnley. All right, there we go. That's the official predictions of the Whistleblowers podcast. That's what we've got time for, gents. Um, we'll be back same time, same place next week. This uh, It's a weekly podcast, guys, so if you listening for the first time, hope you enjoyed it. Um, we'll be back uh, every week, and we maybe do the occasional sort of emergency podcast if some huge news breaks, e.g. Uh, if Wayne Rooney goes back to another girl's hotel room. Good stuff. Right, uh, Gareth, have you got anything to plug before we go? Uh, very excited to be heading off the Green Man Festival uh, next weekend to uh, see uh, top slots by Griff Reese and Snapped Ankles. So if you do have a ticket, make sure you go see them and appreciate the return of some festival action. Lovely stuff. Grits, anything to say? No, all good, mate. All right, nice one. Look forward to chatting next week. Brilliant. How are you, mate? How are you getting on, Mark? Where can we see you and hear you these days? Uh, just get me on my Twitter. All my stuff goes on there, at Mark Smith stuff. Uh, some nice comedy stuff been put up there recently. Um... Yeah, and you can hear me on Talk Sport every now and then as well. Cool, right, let's go. Uh, this has been the Whistleblowers Podcast. See you next time. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.